Welcome to the podcast, The Life Makeover Show. A weekly series of convos with everyday women who experience massive shifts in their lives when they park their egos, guilt, and opinion of others. Please join us, Tina Gesso and Susan Hum, co-founders of Love & Sync Dating Website and Life Makeover Collective, to hear the powerful, moving stories of these strong women. We will have open, unpolished conversations about how they got the clarity they needed to get unstuck in some aspect of their life. So they can take decisive action to make massive improvements in their relationships, career, family, and achieve their dreams. In the convo, not only will we highlight the transformations and shifts experienced by our guests, but we will also highlight the process that got them there. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Life Makeover Show podcast, and thanks for joining us today. And today we have the pleasure of welcoming a very special guest, and her name is Lumenita Dreyer, and we know her as Lumi. And Lumi was born and raised in post-communist Romania, and after graduating university, she followed her dream of exploring the world. She spent one year in the U.S. and six apparently amazing years in Turkey, building a beautiful career teaching ESL, which stands for English as a Second Language. And then she decided to move to Montreal, Canada, where she got married and had a beautiful son. And then from there, things kind of changed a little bit. Life started hitting her hard as her biggest dreams of a family and a professional career were shattered. And that's when her path took a very different turn and the inside journey truly began. A rebel at heart, she challenged the conditioning ingrained in her by culture, family, and society by breaking the rules of how and where to live despite not seemingly having the resources or favorable circumstances. Through intense coaching, mentoring, and hard work on herself, she has achieved a high level of mastering her own life and environment. Acceptance, forgiveness, letting go of what isn't valuable, and embracing the process of life as well as her own path are the cornerstones of her journey. How amazing is that? And welcome, Lumi. Thank you very much. Thank you, Tina. We're such a pleasure to have you here today. And Susan, how are you doing today? I am doing really great. I, this has been the uh, podcast I've been waiting for. We have the exciting Lumi, and I can't wait to highlight her story. It's incredible. So I am really fascinated by your upbringing and your move to Turkey. Do you mind if we start with your life in post-communist Romania? Of course. So, well, I guess that's the right way to start it. <laughs> that's where I come from. What is it like growing up there? It was very interesting. I have very few memories, like during the communism, because the communists fell when I was about 10 years old. So I grew up in a small city, a small town actually called Reshica. It's an industrial town with a big steel plant, which used to be extremely famous in Europe in the 19th and 20th century but now it's practically dead. And I was raised by, of course, my parents, but especially my grandparents, who played a very important role in my life, especially my grandmother, my mom's mom. My grandpa died when I was five years old, but uh, he was absolutely amazing. I can even still remember now his smile and his uh, gentleness. He was a very loving man. And one thing that I remember, especially during communism, which might sound very interesting. It was very safe. It's like, I remember that I was very young and I could walk in the street without feeling endangered. Like now, you know, we're just kind of freaking out about our kids 
letting them go even like cross the street to buy something at, I don't know, the pharmacy because we don't think they are safe. Well, we didn't have that problem at the time. So when I was about 10, the communism fell and things started changing. We started like having more, let's say, freedom and we had more access to things that we didn't have before. Like just to give you an example, it may sound very ridiculous to some people during communism, we didn't really have bananas. We would get bananas some like once a year. We would get them green, put them on the wardrobe and look at them, praying they would turn yellow as soon as possible so that we could eat them. So I'm telling you, that was a huge thing for me in my life as I was growing up. It's like I had this banana trauma because <laughs> I felt like eating a lot of bananas after the communism fell. I ate so many of them. <laughs> It's a funny thing, isn't it? Whenever I hear people talk about war or communism, it's always bananas coming into play. I have no idea why. I guess uh, they represent exotism, or I don't know. It's just that even the smell of bananas, to me, I don't really eat a lot of bananas these days, but the smell just reminds me of something, I guess, exciting and inaccessible somehow, that now I can have, but it was just something that would excite me. Just the smell of bananas. It, it was like, wow, I'm going to have like kind of the forbidden fruit or something. <laughs> what was it like after that? Like you were educated there as well, right? And that was always something that was really important for you, right? Education and learning. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Like, you know, I grew up in an intellectual family. Both my parents are engineers. My grandma, my mom's mom was a pediatric nurse. So I grew up surrounded by many, many, many books. And I remember my mom, once in a while, she would go on, let's say, kind of business trips quite readily. But whenever she came back, she would bring me a book that was the gift. And I was so excited all the time to get that gift. I even remember one time she was turning, I can't remember how old, and all her co-workers would collect money and give it to her so that she could buy the present she wanted. So instead of buying a present for herself, she brought me my first Larousse dictionary, like the French Larousse, you know? Yeah. And, you know, it was just so nice for us. Definitely books had like such a big value in our house, you know? So I, I even now I have over 2,000 books in Romania. So, yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. And that's interesting considering on your next step after Romania, you decided to go to Turkey. First of all, I'd really love to get an idea where your mind was <laughs> at that point, because, you know, it's a traditionally male dominated society. And for somebody who is, you know, beautiful, female and blonde to go to a country like that, and you were going there to educate, right? You were there to teach English as a second language. So the education was definitely there. But where was the mindset? Why Turkey of all places? Well, actually, before Turkey, once I graduated university, I went to the United States. So to me, the United States was like, wow, paradise on earth, you know, everybody wanted to get there. So when I went there, I went as an au pair right after I graduated university. And I was a bit disappointed. It wasn't really like how I thought it would be because my intention initially was to find a way to stay there. But to my surprise, I didn't have the desire after a few months in the U.S. because I felt like people didn't have 
like the people that I knew, obviously, I don't want to generalize because uh, along my path, I met so many beautiful Americans that have amazing values. But the people I met at the time, I didn't find that they had very good um, relationships, especially friendships. You know, it's like they didn't know their neighbors. They were so paranoid about everybody, haters about different cultures, very judgmental. And I felt like, wow, I don't want to live in this country. So when I decided, like at the end of my au pair year, I thought, okay, what do I want to do? And I realized, okay, of course I'm going to go back home to see my parents, but I would love to explore the world. So I applied, mostly there were like au pair type of jobs, and I put my CV on different websites. And I got so many offers, especially from Belgium, Holland, Sweden, But something in me didn't click for some reason, you know, it's just like I even if they offered me like, you know, very good conditions, I didn't feel it was really calling me. So I got this email from a Turkish family who wanted me to tutor their son. And I remember I didn't even know how much they were going to pay me. I felt it. I don't know even how to tell you 1000 percent that this is it. (laughs) So I said yes. And the bottom line is that I listened to my intuition. So it had nothing to do here with assessing the culture or I knew some things about Turkey, of course, but you know what? A lot of prejudices in Romania about Turkey, like, you know, Turks as well have prejudices about Romanians. Romanians had a lot of prejudices about Turks, not to mention that we have a very rich history, lots of battles between Romanians and Turks during the Ottoman Empire. But I thought it would be a very interesting experience and I should just give it a try, especially as it was just a bus ride away. So it was very easy for me to get a return ticket, you know, just go see. And I was thinking, well, if I really don't like it, it's that bad. I can just jump back on the bus and go back home. So in that sense, I thought it was quite safe. But things changed dramatically once I got there because I had some very serious family problems And I needed to support my family financially. So initially, I thought I was going to stay there just for about three months. That was my plan. And I thought, well, after that, I'm just going to go and explore Europe or, I don't know, some other countries, maybe even Asia. I was always attracted to Asia. But things changed because I really needed to make money. That was the real thing. And I met some wonderful people My first Canadian friends, that's how I met them, that I'm still friends with even today. And they're in Montreal. And they are the ones who helped me at first to kind of guide me a little bit to get my first jobs. And actually the person who helped me the most, after I left the family where I was touring their son, I met an American lady in an art workshop because this Turkish family was living in a very rich area outside Istanbul, well, in the outskirts, let's say, of Istanbul. And their son was in school all day long. He would come home at about 4 p.m., so I had so much time. So I thought, what can I do with all this time? Of course, I joined an art class because it was fun. And I met this wonderful American lady who uh, really helped me so much because when I left the Turkish family, she offered me a job to help her with her kids while she was actually helping me with jobs and stuff, you know? So she gave me a lot of tips and we're friends to this day. Like such an amazing family. Like she's from Tennessee and she's just one of those people full, full of love. Like 
amazing. Wow. So you always have people helping you along the way. So how long were you actually in Turkey for? Six years. For six years. Wow. Yeah. And so you taught English in Turkey. And then what made you come to Montreal? After about three years of Turkey, I started like, getting bored. I felt like I was just bored of teaching English. It was a bit difficult with the visas, with the work visas. I worked in private schools for children, but I really didn't like their system. It was very much focused on quantity and not quality. So I didn't appreciate the fact that they would just get you stuck in school for many, many hours, even if you didn't do anything. Lots of meetings, useless meetings. So I just didn't like that bureaucracy. You know, I wanted to be free. So I decided to freelance and that worked better for me. I actually worked for the Turkish army for a while. And that was probably my most amazing experience in Turkey because it showed me such a beautiful side of people that, you know, like people in the army, right? We think they are so serious and strict and maybe inflexible. And I saw their fun side. I thought they were the most lovely, creative people that I've met. I think it's because you brought it out of them. So, so in the sixth year when you left the Romania to come to Montreal, is that when you met the man that you're going to come back to Montreal with? I met him about a year before I left. That's when I applied for immigration. And I decided to apply for immigration to Canada because... It was really a headache with the visas in Turkey. And I felt tired. I was just tired of finding ways to stay, you know, legally. And I thought uh, if I immigrate here, plus, you know, I did speak French already and I wanted to use my French. I felt like I was losing my French in Turkey because obviously there I was just teaching English. I thought, well, this is the perfect place to come to. So I met my ex-husband a year before And then during the last year, I was in a relationship with him. And then I came first here because, you know, my visa was processed. And yes, and I came here. So So, you're obviously a free spirit. Yeah. And in terms of your relationship, right, we all start our relationship and, you know, getting married and having a beautiful idea of how or in a beautiful dream of how we want it to work out. Right. And it wasn't exactly the case for you. I mean, you had a wonderful son. Right. And he's. Darius is how old now? He's eight and a half. Well, a little bit over eight and a half. He's going to be nine at the end of August. Okay. And a very smart and creative boy and beautiful boy, actually. And do you want to describe just a little bit about how that relationship ended off? Because so far, as Susan just mentioned, I mean, you're a free spirit. You have a lot of courage. You moved from where you were very safe. And like you said, you felt so safe and loved. And then going to a check what some people could have construed like a challenging country like Turkey, but yet you flourished and you appreciated everybody around you. Then you made your next courageous move, right? You're smart and tough and educated and you come to Canada and, you know, and you have someone with you that came with you and you ended up getting married. And then you were kind of blindsided by that, right? Because it didn't quite turn out as you wanted to. Do you want to describe that a little bit? Sure. My move to Canada seemed very easy to me because it wasn't like a big culture shock, you know, like especially compared to Turkey. I think that's where I had to adapt culturally much more than here. I came here and my ex-husband came six months after me. He joined me and then we got married. And I realized that 
I was looking at things kind of superficially. Like, for example, I thought education obviously is very important, you know, in a man, like to have a degree. But I never, I think, looked at education in a deeper way. What does actually education mean to me? Because a degree doesn't mean much in the end. And I realized that the values we had were so different. And even if, let's say, we said, okay, what's one of your most important values? And he would say family. And I would say family. I would say, well, that's wonderful. He has the same value as me, but it doesn't mean that because you have to actually define that value. What does family mean to you? Because to him, family meant something totally different from what it meant to me. So this was like one of my biggest lessons to look at values, the values I have, see how much I'm living them and applying them into my own life. And then looking at the other person and see if not only they have the same values, but they have the same definition of that value. It's huge. I thought I was very idealistic. You see, ever since I was very young, I just loved the world. I loved people. I saw that, you know, who cares about religion and culture and all this bullshit? Because, you know, we're people. We live on the same planet. We should just get along. So life brought to me a very, very big challenge because I married a man from Nigeria, from such a different culture. And I realized another thing. When a man comes from a patriarchal culture and the woman comes from a very open-minded culture, I don't think it's going to work out. The very slight chance is going to work out. If it's the opposite, the man comes from a very open culture and the woman from a very, very traditional culture, maybe there's higher chances. But in this kind of combination, it's very hard. That's why they call it culture clash. They don't call it culture clash for nothing. <laughs> exactly. Well, it's funny because Lumi is very idealistic. I remember the first time I had coffee with her, right, Lumi? And you were talking about this guy in another country that she was absolutely in love with. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, my goodness, this girl can live in a dream world. And she is very happy in that world. Like, I've never seen somebody that sees everything with such beauty. And it's not even real, but yet you create this realism. Like, the, your power of imagination is insane. It's insane. But what I look at is that, and I was trying to bring you down to earth the entire coffee, and I couldn't. She was in this, like, happy bubble. And it's really interesting. Your power of imagination, I've never seen it that, like, in anybody else that powerful. That's why when you actually did the coaching program, I knew you were going to be able to create magic. Because you could only create magic with that imagination. So true. There were a lot of magical moments from that point. Right. From the moment that, you know, for your whole life, you've had a lot of magic going on. But particularly after you started coaching with Susan and started tuning into certain things. And like you said, Susan, a lot of it was based on your an amazing imagination. Now, let's just walk through it again. So you're with this man that, you know, there's a bit of a culture clash going on. You have a child in the meantime. And how long were you married for? Yeah, it was actually a big culture clash, uh, <laughs> a huge one. <laughs> we got married in 2010. That's when he came. He came kind of mid-February 2010. We got married at the end of March 2010. And then 
like January 2013, I made a decision I want a divorce. Okay. Yeah. So, and what happened after that? I mean, you moved out and you just had to figure things out on your own from there. And I just want to put in there as well. I mean, I think, you know, we've already had chats about this, but I think it's important to draw the line between you and I as well, and that we have some similarities in our background, right? We were both very passionate about education. We moved to a place where we encountered a different culture. And the man that I chose to marry also came from a different culture, albeit that he grew up in Canada. But there's something about when somebody gets married and they tend to go back to, you know, what they grew up with and their culture and their values. So I can say that a lot of, you know, the reason why we broke up as well is because of this cultural clash. And the beautiful thing in it is the amazing lessons that we've learned, right, Lumi? And the beautiful child, you know, the children that we've had through these marriages. Absolutely. Yeah. So after that, was it shortly after that, that you had met Susan or was there another part in there? You went and got your... um, I met Susan in 2016 and that's because in 2016, I was actually on quite a long sick leave because I got into depression. So I was trying to find different ways to get back on my feet because I was working for an organization that seemed to be very compassionate, but they actually weren't. They wanted me medicated and they prescribed, they kind of forced me to take medication and I did take them for a little while, but I didn't feel good at all. I felt like a vegetable. So I went into very, well, some kind of crazy experiments to get myself out of depression and it did work. Like, yeah, I went into shamanic ceremonies. I did some theta healing. So I did quite a lot of things. (laughs) because I didn't want to be medicated. (laughs) Actually, you know, it's incredible because, and this is a question I ask a lot of people because it's really interesting to a lot of people. Somebody that can see life with such beauty and is so idealistic and then to hit depression, those are two very extremes. Did you, did you realize the extreme or, or did you not, you just fell trapped into the depression and that's it? I realized the extreme but I did feel trapped. Mm-hmm. So I just, uh, at first, I didn't even know I was going into depression. That's the crazy part. I just felt like there was something off because I wasn't as energetic. I couldn't focus as much. It's as if things with the guy kind of passed me, passed me by. I couldn't uh, fully grasp what was happening. But when it hit me, and to be honest, it's just good that I have a very good doctor who uh, really shook me up and she said, Lumi, you are in depression. This is serious. And she forced me to go on sick leave because uh, that's what I was at. You know, I had to. Yeah. Well, the, like I said, the interesting thing is uh, the first time we met for coffee, you were in depression, but you had managed to be able to, a lot of people, how they deal with depression is they go into the fantasy land. So they never really deal with either side. They just flip from happy fantasy to like crash depression. Like it just goes up and down. So then when I saw you a few months after again, when you called me, I think that you were at your last straw and you needed help. And I think I was the only person that you trusted to call. And I didn't know it because I'm not a specialist in depression for sure, for sure. But I did know one thing when I met you that day, I tried to give you some strategies, not coaching. Because it was depression, you can't coach somebody out of depression. It's very difficult. But I do remember that 
you had what I considered mindset depression. You couldn't control your thoughts. You didn't know how to deal with them. And the reason why I helped you, I didn't even coach her for the first year that I knew you. All I did was I supported her out of her depression as a friend, as somebody that can help her. Because your son was, um, Darius was only five, wasn't he? Yeah, he was very young. Yeah. And I couldn't let her go without any help. So she only started my coaching program a year after. It wasn't even in the first year. Wow. Would you say, Lumi, that a big part of your motivation to get out of that was Darius? Of course. Yeah, absolutely. But to be honest, Susan was like my saving grace because it was just amazing to me that someone that didn't even know me put so much love and time and energy into me and just like selflessly helped me because there were people that theoretically, you know, they were professionals and they couldn't help me. They just were not able to fully understand and help me as I needed help because they either would go to the extreme of giving me some medication that didn't do anything, do you understand? Or some therapist that would just give me zero strategies, zero tools. They would just listen to me and practically there was no feedback. Mm -hmm. So then I was thinking, why am I coming here like this? You know, I can talk to a friend. (laughs) So I was talking to Susan (laughs) and definitely Susan... You know she's not crazy when bullying works. That's the first tactic of coaching from Susan, my bullying. I had to yell it out of her. The demons, it's called exorcism. But you know what? This is how many years ago? This is like three years ago now. So it's unbelievable the journey you've been on. I mean, I think we could do five podcast series on Lumi Alone. But if we could just highlight where are you today and all the magic that you've been through, you've been through coaching programs, you've run your own businesses, you've gone back into the job market, you went from toxic environments only to now just every job you take on is just beautiful. It builds on your confidence, it builds on your experience. Where are you today now? Today I am in a job in a very good company that I can say it's probably one of the healthiest environments I've ever seen in my life. This is a company that, by the way, during this COVID situation, won number one in Canada and the first three in North America as how well they dealt with the situation, like by the way they treated their employees, their management, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, just getting there, I think is is amazing. And I live in a very beautiful apartment in the heart of downtown Montreal. And that's, uh, this is actually, this is quite a story, just my apartment, it's you know, it's quite a story. <laughs> and my son is doing very well as well. Obviously, we are home these days because we are confined. And yeah, and I'm working on my next business, actually, because I've been experimenting a lot with businesses so that I can find what I love and who I am was the best way to represent myself in a business. And the only way I could do it was by trying different things and learning what works and what doesn't work for me. And I'm very grateful for that because I've learned a lot. I gained a lot of experience and especially I met wonderful people. That's probably one of the things that I'm the most grateful for. In a short phrase, how would you define for everybody who's listening self-love? Acceptance, embracing who you are in every single moment. Even in those when you think you're not at your best because those are the best moments to learn about yourself. That's what I think. 
And so even when you're going through difficult times now, it doesn't mean when you hit a level of self-love that you never get depressed, that you never get upset, that you never feel sad, that you don't feel sick. How do you navigate through difficulties now? With a lot of compassion. I look at myself and I think, well, this is the best you can do in this moment and that's fine. Do more when you're ready. I learned more about my own limits. So I know when to stop because sometimes, and one of the key elements here is something that you told me before making a decision, I always think, is it motivated by fear or by faith? So that is key for me. So when I make a decision, even about myself, let's say I'm not feeling great, but I want to do something. I'm thinking, okay, what is the real motivation behind this decision? And I'm telling you, that gives me the answer because then I know, does it come from my ego? Is it because this is something really beneficial for me or is it because I'm competitive, let's say, and I want to prove something? So I test myself, you know, I ask myself the right question and I call that compassion. I think that's a lot of compassion. That is such an amazing story, Lumi. I mean, you know, you have come through all the challenges of your life and you have used your strengths along the way and you have opened yourself up to meeting like wonderful people all the way from, you know, your native Romania in Turkey and here in Canada. And you've taken these challenges and you have, you know, basically made yourself into a more self-aware person that's empowered, that's in a position right now so that no matter what life challenges or what life throws your way, you're equipped to be able to handle it. It doesn't mean that you don't have your moments, but you're empowered. And what I'm hearing now is someone who's really, you know, excited about the future and totally juiced up with this empowerment that you know that you're going to continue to elevate yourself. You know, we chatted, you're doing different types of courses to bring yourself to higher and higher levels, right? And it's a beautiful story. We're so, so grateful that you came on to share this story with our listeners. And I'm sure that you're going to be inspiring other women that are out there that are going through difficult times that can see now that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And right, it starts with self-awareness and you're really open about it. And it's so refreshing. And like I said, the word inspired keeps coming up with me. Is there anything else you want to add on to that? You know what? I think the interesting thing is you were always a free spirit. You've always wanted to travel. Your life turned around where you had to stop traveling. But I think it's about to come. I think it's about to come because you're going to travel the world with your son. You're going to work around the world and it's going to be a whole full circle. That's the future. I love this. You make me proud. You make me inspired. I mean, honestly, I'm so proud of you, Lumi. Like, honestly, your story is incredible. This is only touching the surface. We'll get back to you another time for other magic things, but I'm inspired and you inspire a lot of people. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Susan. Thank you, Tina. Such a pleasure. The pleasure was ours and the pleasure is watching your journey and continuing to watch your journey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks. So thank you to everybody for listening today. And we look forward to hearing you and seeing you and being in contact on our next podcast. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Life Makeover Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. We really value your opinion. 
So please feel free to send us your questions, comments, or feedback. You can find out more about Tina Gesso and Susan Hum and the Life Makeover Show podcast at www.lifemakeovercollective.com. Thanks for listening.